A word of warning. This podcast may contain themes that some listeners might find distressing. Not always, but sometimes. However, this podcast will definitely contain strong language. Therefore, if neither of these things sound appealing, it's probably not the podcast for you then, is it? Hello and welcome to the Narcissist Ramblings podcast with me, the Narcissist Psychologist. And today, very excitingly, for the first time ever, I am not alone. How lucky are you? At long last, you don't have to contend with just me and my bullshit. Today, I have a guest. The ever-thoughtful, calm and compassionate Alex Holmes. I won't say too much about who he is, as he kind of introduces himself later on in the episode. Uh, But this episode is essentially what I envisioned when I used the word ramblings in the podcast title. Um, We were meant to have just an hour-long chat. Um, but it ended up being closer to two hours, purely because we really got stuck into the conversation and it went where it went, despite having a structure and a purpose and a you know uh, guide. Um, as a result, though, I have cut this chat with Alex into two parts, with this episode being um, the first of the two. And without giving too much away, Alex and I take a very existential look at masculinity and ask some very big why questions. I guess that will hopefully start to unpick the rigid nature of how we currently understand masculinity and femininity. Um, I'll release the second half of the um, chat in a future episode, um, and that has a slightly different take on the conversation, but uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. (laughs) Just to say, I have listened back to this, um, and the only issue with me not writing a podcast script is that I am nowhere near as coherent as I'd like to be. There are times when I use one word when I mean another word, and you know this is literally the story of my life. Coupled with that, not only is Alex far more eloquent, he also has a much better microphone than I do. <laughs> so there are some parts where the sound quality from my side gets a little sketchy, um, but I'm looking into buying a better microphone to sort that out. Don't worry. But anyway, uh, enough of enough of my bullshit for now. Uh, please enjoy part one of my chat with Mr. Alex Holmes. Right. Uh, welcome, Alex Holmes, to the Narcissist Ramblings podcast with me, the Narcissist Psychologist. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. No, no worries. I'm uh, I'm really excited to have you on. Uh, really grateful, actually. Uh, for a number of reasons. Um, so for those of you who uh, follow me or who have uh, seen any of my posts and stuff, um, I <laughs> I quite often tag you and post you and stuff, don't I, Alex? Um, so Alex and I got to know each other through Instagram and through, I guess, uh, I guess our shared interests in, in discussing masculinity and things like that. And actually, um, I was a guest on one of your podcasts, wasn't I, Alex? The, yes. uh, the, 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 yeah. the first book club that you did. Yeah, we talked about the, what was it? The Happiness, the happiness Trap. The, the Happiness trap. trap. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Brilliant, brilliant episode. It was really good. Yeah, no, um, I, I, I enjoyed it. And actually, um, that podcast uh, that I sort of came on for for, for you, and another podcast episode that I did for a friend of mine for her business were actually my two sort of very first tastes of doing podcasts. Um, and actually it gave me a bit of a, it gave me a Caught bit of bug. an enjoyment. Yeah. It gave me a Caught bit of a bug. flavor for it. Yes. So uh, if anybody, if, if you're looking for anybody to blame for the fact that this podcast exists, you can um, direct your <laughs> direct it anger at me. <laughs> yeah. Direct it. No, please don't be angry at Alex. He's yeah, a lovely man. Me. I'm soft. <laughs> oh. um, so I guess 
So I guess, Alex, uh, you're here today to talk to me about, uh, I suppose, the, the future of masculinity, if yeah. we can be so bold. That's, um, a, that's a bold, bold statement. <laughs> wide, varying yes, wilderness yes. of a statement. But yeah. yeah, a varying, wide, all-encompassing statement. Um, I suppose if you're listening to this uh, episode for the first time, uh, you you might be you might not be aware that there are two prior episodes in which I talk about masculinity, uh, which all <clears throat> kind of started around the idea of of there being this well this uh, discord or discourse about uh, the, the the phrase and people not liking it and how it's potentially harmful to men. And I suppose it it all started um, with me trying to look at what the the terms. That the term mas- toxic masculinity actually means and then kind of thinking about the fact that if we didn't call it toxic masculinity what would we actually call it and um actually would it just end up having the same i guess negative consequences regardless um and actually would it not be better to just focus on would it not be better to just focus on what toxic masculinity is trying to highlight conceptually um culturally about masculinity and where the problems lie in that so that was the first episode. The second episode was focusing a little bit more on, uh, I guess, the harm that toxic masculinity causes uh, to both men and women, uh, but also um, gender non-conforming individuals, um, but also uh, men who fall into, I guess, minority or oppressed groups and things like that. I didn't really touch much on those sections because um, there's not much research around in that area. But I suppose the the big chunk of of that episode was around the harm that it causes to men and how the ideas of masculinity, the rules of masculinity, uh, which are currently understood to be uh, hegemonic masculinity, the most, um, the most desired, the most uh, culturally accepted form of masculinity, uh, which is also, you know, conceptualizes the man box, how those rules of masculinity are actually quite harmful to men because it pushes us to behave in ways that are, are toxic so you know again just to you know to, to summarize the idea that myself and alex are both of the understanding that toxic i mean that masculinity is not toxic there's nothing inherently wrong with manhood or being a man but actually um you know the fact that there are these rules pushes men not all men some men um to behave in ways that are, are harmful actually having said that I guess depending on what you, I guess depending on what we're talking about and what harm we are talking about, it could affect all men really. So it's not just, yeah. you know, if we're talking about violence, that's a potentially a small proportion of men who enact violence. But then <clears throat> those are those who are impacted by violence could be a, a larger proportion of men. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so that's where we are currently. And so today's episode is myself and Alex just having a bit of a chat about sort of where do we go? Where do we go from here? And the reason why I've asked Alex, um, well, I'm going to let Alex introduce himself first, and then we'll talk about the reason why I have invited Alex on as a guest. So, Alex, do you want to just tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, yeah. So, as Daniel said, I'm a. My name's Alex Holmes. I'm an author. Um, I am a trainee psychotherapist, um, and at the minute, I'm kind of really doing a lot of research around existential thought and ideas um, especially around psychotherapies and coaching Um, and I'm having many conversations around masculinity doing a lot of research in there and my perspective is taking it from an existential point of view and just trying to figure out you know the, the big questions what does it mean to be a man am I man enough does this actually 
how does me being born into this body um, and then you know molded into this gender what does that mean for my whole um, experience and existence especially in the west and the kind of the way that we um, navigate and go through so interestingly what you said at the very beginning about the future of masculinity has been something that I've been thinking about for a while um, and but the, in, in order for me to understand the future of it I've been doing a lot of real um, research around the history of it and just do a lot of reading around the history of it and um, yeah I've just been thinking um, thinking and writing a lot about it for a while um, and I've, I'm the author of Time to Talk How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection um, which on reading it back and having like you know done a lot of research with existentialism and uh, many different uh, modalities in that way and the kind of conversations I have on my own podcast um it's an existential text <laughs> and I was reading it and I was just thinking like oh my gosh so this idea of what it means to belong as a man we're having um a quite a bit of a, a rupture a bit of a shake um around the identity yeah and, absolutely um my whole experience is slightly different as I come from uh, an oppressed minority like where I'm, but I still benefit from certain elements of patriarchy yeah. um and masculinity and the, the, yeah. um, that sort of power structure in the west but I have the you know obviously I'm black and it's there there are very there are very key and very specific um mechanisms and tools that are used against me um in order for me to kind of operate in this in this society in in the in the fullest way so um I, I look at it from that lens um and I begin to kind of really explore what what it means um to go through that sort of kind of um indoctrination I suppose or that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. um that kind of experience experiential place you know as an oppressed minority because I think that exploring the the racial the sexuality the class the ability size of things is very important to get the full picture as to what Absolutely. is happening yeah. Yeah. today and here and now mm -hmm. um and, and I guess and I guess that's one of the reasons why I um wanted to invite you on as a guest because um apart from the fact that you have many many conversations about masculinity with lots of different people you know you've, you've written a book you've got your own podcast i've seen you um be a guest on various different other podcasts um where mm. you kind of talk about this this is your um this is your topic this is your area of interest isn't it and i suppose that's the reason why i wanted to, to, to bring you on today but i guess um, I was going to touch on it later, but you've kind of um, prompted me to, to think about mentioning it now. But I suppose, um, you know, your, your race is something that I would be interested in maybe trying to think about um, later on, particularly when we think about what some of the barriers might be towards how we think about going forward with the new masculinity. Yeah. Um, because I suppose, you know, one of the things um, I'm, I am thinking of is, is that, um, you know, uh, if you're a white cisgendered male um, of a particular sort of uh, eco, uh, social class, the the ways in which maybe you can move forward with the the new ideas of masculinity might be a little bit 
easier for for, mm. for for someone like me to achieve and to attain. Um, whereas I suppose one of the one of the things I'm wondering is how easy it might be for somebody such as yourself or other other individuals such as yourself who come from a different, um, I guess, racial background. I'm, I'm not necessarily sure about the the other kind of protected characteristics in in your life, but I suppose racially, um, it would be interesting to think about that um, a little bit later on. So I'm glad you brought yeah. that up. Thank you. Sure. Is that all right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you very much for introducing yourself. Uh, and yeah, I guess we we crack on, really. So, so I suppose for, for for everyone listening, we're going to talk about masculinity, I guess, in three parts, the future of masculinity, <laughs> the future of masculinity in three parts. Yes. Um, we're going to talk about it firstly, from a, I guess, like a systemic, global, cultural perspective. So the idea of, you know, existentially, what you're talking about, Alex, is what is masculinity and what does it actually mean? Um, and almost is it even worth having that label? But we'll get into that in a second. Um, that's my question anyway. That's not mm -hmm. necessarily yours, but it is one of the things I'm wondering. Um, then we'll move on to, I guess, you know, thinking about masculinity in the present with men in the here and the now. So what can men actively do now about sort of, you know, thinking differently about masculinity? Um, but then also, you know, what do we do uh, for future generations of men? How do we think about it or what would be worth thinking about it in terms of, um, yeah, future generations? So essentially, we're going to break it down into those three, three areas. So... Before we move on to the big question, uh, systemically, so in the book, uh, Is Masculinity Toxic? Um, the author, Andrew Smyler, talks about there being four eras of masculinity. So I mentioned this in my first podcast about this. So I'm just going to read it out, um, if that's okay, Alex, and then we can have a bit of a discussion about it. Okay, so from the book, it says, the first model of masculinity might be referred to as organic or natural masculinity, in which biological strengths dictated male and female behaviours and roles. In the most prehistoric hunter-gatherer societies, the adult, the adult men concentrated on big game hunting as they were stronger and bigger, while women and prepubescent boys and girls did most of the gathering nearer the kinship group and offspring. Although the roles and responsibilities were differentiated, there was no social hierarchy. These were, egal these were egalitarian societies. The second model emerged during the late 17th century as part of the Enlightenment movement. In this model, masculinity also became associated with power, patriarchy, and passion, and with those conforming to this ideal, assuming prime position in the social hierarchy. The 20th century saw the emergence of a third industrial model of masculinity. In this capitalist model, competition was added to the mix and passion was replaced by emotional stoicism. Although this remains the dominant model of masculinity today, during the past three decades, it has been deconstructed and explored, resulting in the acceptance of multiple forms of masculinity and the idea that individuals can create their own contingent versions of masculinity. So I guess that last little bit is kind of the, I guess the context in which we're having this conversation, isn't there? So there's all these um, previous ways of conceptualizing masculinity and the way that they've been uh, enacted throughout history. And I guess we're sort of getting to a, a newer, and some newer thoughts about masculinity. Um, so I guess my big question is for, for, for both of us to answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway, um would one of the the ways in which to kind of um reframe masculinity to to just do away with the whole binary of masculinity and femininity 
Oh, well, um, that is a big question. Um, <laughs> I think, how do we go about reframing masculinity? I think what we need to, what we need to do is, that, is we, I feel personally that mm-hmm. I don't think masculinity and femininity need to be done away with. I think okay. that they are inherently human, um, energetic experiences that mm-hmm. e- each person whether you are non-binary, like a man, a woman, trans, mm-hmm. whatever, um, we have we have those elements within us. Um, mm-hmm. And I think as an energetic principle uh, on a very human level, we, we understand that. We see that there are masculine tropes and masculine types, especially in nature. Um, and femininity and feminine types in in nature too and they work together harmoniously um i don't know if you've read um way of the superior man by david data um and it's a very and you know the book is to be taken with a pinch of salt in my opinion it's written for a very specific man in the 90s it just has a very very specific audience and you can tell that and he acknowledges it at the very beginning he's like he's speaking to these kind of people take from it what you will but as far as his direction that's mm-hmm. where they are so again i was happy to be forewarned on this so i just continued reading <laughs> yeah, the book yeah. however you could just accept the book for what it was <laughs> yeah so um but the from like for me and i don't know whether this is the same for you i like experiencing the world in metaphors because it mm-hmm. it, it tells me more than it, more than i could ever really truly understand <laughs> um if everything was just given to me in black and white yeah. but the the idea is that if we're going to be looking at masculine and feminine natures we have to understand what masculine energy is which is which is you know traditionally structure logic building um order um containment feminine energy is life and death essentially this is this is what has been kind of taught over time um life and death rebirth um expansion creativity music art those kinds of things um but they both have their negatives and they both have their positives now the way that david Dieda kind of explains it is that when we look at those both working together mm-hmm. like um harmoniously we can consider it as like you know um as the river being feminine energy and the river bank being masculine energy they work together Mm -hmm. in order for in order for things to work together um so my whole thing is so looking at that kind of understanding of what he explores and explains as masculine and feminine and how they don't necessarily and how they aren't really specific to gender Mm because obviously gender is a socialization but um or specific to sex even it's a question of supremacy when it comes Mm. to what we're what we're actually dealing with now it's a question of power Mm -hmm. um and a question of how do we hold one thing down in glory of the other yeah Uh, so this is what and this is so when we start going around reframing masculinity and we sort of like looking at reframing femininity it's about doing away with the power struggle okay. yeah um and reconstructing that um, yeah. and disseminating the power 
across. And I think that's, the way I, that's where I've come to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I guess, and I guess that um, that sort of ties in quite nicely with one of the things that I've understood about what hegemonic masculinity is. Is that right. um, so? In the in this paper that I've quoted throughout the, the the series of these podcast episodes by Connell and Messerschmitt about sort of um, rethinking about hegemonic masculinity, it's it sort of states that hegemonic masculinity, the most again the the most uh, celebrated or accepted and um, um, strived for form of masculinity is only possible because of its position uh, because of how it positions femininity so it, it positions femininity in like the subordinate so the less than um which is why so again so that this idea of um masculinity is um better than i guess for a lack of a uh, word better than femininity and so therefore um in order to be a, a a man you must you are automatically better than a woman uh but then in order to be the best man you have to then be um you have to then aim to be top of like the the food chain or whatever so i guess one of the one of the one of the comments within the paper is that in order to do away with hegemonic masculinity completely and to do away with this idea of power differentials between masculinity and femininity is actually to treat them both as equal and to treat them both as things that aren't better than the, the other and, and that no single one um, has any more value is um, thought of uh, in, in a more um, a dominant way or, or, or a mm. better way or anything like that. <clears throat> but I suppose one of the things, one of the reasons why I asked the question about whether we should just do away with the whole kind of binary idea of masculinity and femininity oh, yeah. is because is because I suppose you're, what you were talking about with the river and the and, and the bank, so the, the river being femininity and, and the bank being masculinity, it's the it's the idea of how two things that are, you know, slightly different but are pretty much of the same uh, work together. Yeah, work together. Um, I suppose what I guess my my question is why does why do we necessarily need the label of one being masculine and one being feminine? Why can't it just be why can't it just be the fact that it's a river and a bank that are just doing that are just a river of a bank and as opposed to one being one having a task and the other having a task and then working in um unity i suppose i guess it's because it's it's the meaning that we attach to things mm -hmm. you know the thing mm -hmm. is i feel like before there was any of this understanding of like currently today's understanding of masculinity or femininity is and how much it's been scorned and looked upon as this kind of real distasteful word or mm -hmm. element to a conversation that triggers a lot in a lot of people mm -hmm. prior to that it just was what it was like they, yeah. you know you just understood it to be you understood one thing to be, be of a particular energy and you took on one thing to be of another energy and i think deconstructing language around this sort of, sort of stuff and trying to understand whether it's going to take generations for us to restructure language so till it becomes yeah, yeah. a norm that the language is, is one thing mm. but we also have to remember that when it comes to language itself it's um it, it's, it's interpreted differently in so many different mm. parts of you know like in certain languages you have the masculine and you have the feminine mm -hmm. gender like genders with regards <laughs> yeah, yeah. to, yeah. to have, you, the, have you ever read have you ever read um Invisible Woman by um, I can't remember what her name is. So it's it's basically talks about um, uh, uh, gaps in in data between mm. between the genders. 
Yeah. And she has a she has a whole she has a whole section about masculine and feminine sort of languages in, in sort of like Spanish, Italian and all those kind of things and how yeah. and, and how um they that even I think uh, and I might be misquoting here and I'm or I might be um, getting it completely wrong, but I think one of the criticisms of that is that even in the masculine and feminine language use, it still positions the feminine, feminine. as you know, of, of, of lower status as opposed yeah, to the, the masculine. Because even, yeah, because even in French and even Spanish, for example, if you have a group of mixed friends, for example, yes, that you're talking to, yes, I think this is, yeah, you're about to say, yeah. to, the word is a masculine, yeah, is a masculine yeah. equation. If they're yeah, all women, it, it's a feminine yeah. one. If they're all men, it's a masculine one. But if it's mixed, it's a masculine one. Yeah, and it kind so, of then just degenders or it, or takes away the fact that there are more than one gender or more than right. one type of person that might be in that group. So again, like there's so much to deconstruct with all of it. It's yeah. like we have to then deconstruct language. And if we deconstruct mm-hmm. language, like, are we even ready for that? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Are we ready to think... really understand it? Because people can barely, people can barely, <laughs> they can barely understand they, them. Yes. At the moment. You and, know? They yeah, can barely absolutely. understand how to do that. Oh, I'm getting confused with how to say yeah, they, them yeah. in the singular form. Yeah, well, it's been- <laughs> yeah they is not the singular. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, that's not okay. true. I don't know who they are. We, we, yeah, we say exactly. this. We, yeah. say, we say this. Yeah. Can you go after who... them? Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Like we we know this. We we use it on a day to day basis, but we yeah. are just so cognitively fixed. I think there we go. We yeah. don't know how to. We don't know how to then express. Yeah, so we like our day. we like our cognitive shortcuts that make the world a lot far right. easier to understand. And then if you start messing yeah. with how we understand the world, it's like no, exactly. no. Exactly. So message does saying. not compute. So so when it comes to um. When it comes to you know with the, with the whole masculinity and femininity stuff and trying to understand like how we better better have these conversations around gender, mm-hmm. we need to you know it's, it's I think it just really sits with with the power question because it's a yeah. power issue and the binary issue, you know mm-hmm. like as you said as you said that 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 this or that mm-hmm. situation and any mm-hmm. anywhere there's a binary, it doesn't make much sense. Yeah, and I suppose, and and that's and that's kind of the reasons why I wanted to ask the question because I could, I guess, I can understand how what you were talking about in terms of, you know, feminine and masculine energy, particularly in nature, particularly in nature, how it works, how kind of, you know, that sort of duality of um, male, male and female, uh, in in the, in sort of like biology in the environment, kind of that's what makes you know the world move and uh, tick over or whatever, but I suppose. The, the thing that I wonder about is in terms of, uh, I guess, human traits. So things like, you know, strength or fortitude or um, vulnerability or, um, you know, these, these kind of humanistic traits that we have, those seem to be classed into sort of masculine and feminine. And then if you are... Um, if you want to be a man, you have to kind of endorse and enact a certain amount of masculine traits, like dress a certain way, look a certain way, um, have uh, particular ways about you, particular ways of thinking in order for you to be more masculine than you are feminine. And then, you know, the, the, the other way um, for, the, for the other side of the equation. But I suppose, <clears throat> what, I suppose I, my question is, why do, why does strength need to be, a masculine 
trait, if that makes sense. Or why does vulnerability oh. need to be a feminine trait? And I understand what you mean about when you say things have always been the way they are. This is how we understand the, the various different sort of ways in which we enact um, different poles of ourselves and different parts of ourselves. But I guess, and this is a very existential question. I'm not expecting that this is going to happen within the next <laughs> 10, 15, 100 years or whatever. But I guess it's just a, it's just the what if question or the why not question, really, is why do these particular traits or these particular ways of being a human being yeah. have to be polarized or binaried, if that's a word, in, in, in masculine or feminine? Um, and I, I think it goes back to Neolithic. It goes back to the agricultural revolution. It goes back to the moment where we began to possess resources. Mm-hmm. And um, tell me more about so, that. So we okay. So we have the the hunter gatherer. Our mm-hmm. hunter gatherer answers. I don't even know the exact names. The Paleolithic. The Paleo, oh, yeah. I don't even know. But we know no, who we're talking I. about. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So the guys know. who went out so they they yeah, they yeah. hunted down so the animals the, and all those the, things. Yeah, the hunter gatherers. We they did that. Um, our ancestors did that as a group of people. Mm-hmm. There was no, you stay home, you do this, blah, blah, blah. they went out and did that as a group of people. Yeah, um, yeah they were very nomadic and they traveled around in their tribes and right. it was all, they all went and they exactly. did it. Exactly, yeah, it was yeah. feast or famine, it was just a yeah, situation, yeah. you know? Yeah. And they, they, were working, they were walking 30 miles a day, it was mm-hmm. literally just yeah. life as they knew yeah. it, that was what it was. Mm-hmm. When we start to introduce the, the ideas of agriculture and resources into these things where people are harvesting their own, product mm-hmm. we start to introduce um sedentary sed- sedentary sedentism sedentism yeah basically so sitting people, on your ass doing yeah, nothing yeah sitting on your ass doing nothing so people are no longer moving for mm-hmm. as long as they used to or going out to all these places which then you know in a way creates more time and more and more thing because you're growing the stuff in your garden in your land or wherever you're growing it mm-hmm. um you've got more time between you know two humans who are generally sexually attracted to one another they you know having sex procreate, all the time yeah. and they mm-hmm. procreate so yeah. and, and, and the, the length of time it takes for now a woman to gestate a baby we know that to be nine months probably sometimes less sometimes more depending on the baby mm-hmm. um, and the pregnancy so it then falls upon the man to then protect the resources of mm-hmm the of of the property so because anybody could come in and then claim you know this baby this woman this property this, this, uh, yeah, uh, the, 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 the yeah yeah anybody could come in and do that men had the most free time and in that thing because if the women are at home mm-hmm. procreating and then they're probably having many children mm-hmm. like um so nine i mean that, i mean pop- still i mean i mean i think men still have more free time in comparison to women exactly. um to this very day I, I think not quite not as much as like the neo-paleolithic time or whatever but i think yeah. um yeah. yeah they still do yeah. but anyway it's sorry i'm saying so i'm just saying like you're right though because over time now we've kind of taken on those behaviors and those responsibilities and those ideas mm-hmm. so men have more free time to learn more things with regards to technologies so Mm -hmm. swords livestock property upkeep like all of these different things they've got more time to learn about Mm -hmm. that stuff because they have they have you know in a way put these women inside and shut them away and then whatever is 
in the home is for them to protect for them to create a home that is comfortable yeah, for for them for them yeah. to be able to then raise these children or these or the, mm-hmm. uh, the offspring as you would expect so men have more time to do other things like fight each other go to war do all that stuff protect protect the land do all these different things mm-hmm. um so that's why i think that that whole idea of them physical strength because biologically there is that kind of conversation around men wanting to um, be, uh, you know, fight for their mates and, you know, they, they want to be able to have the best mate, you know, they want to be able to, uh, you know, have that, procreate with that person, mm-hmm. that, you know, they want somebody who is strong or someone who can live for longer or all these different things rather than somebody who's weak or whatnot. Um, biologically, that was something that happened. I yeah. think that, I think that we just need to, we really need to understand that we can't hold on to those ideals as much as the world is changing and as humans are changing and our ideas are changing and the way that and yeah. the kind of the phases of our lives are changing as people yeah, because, on this earth. Because I think, you know, sorry, carry on. No, so finish, finish. Sorry, I was just going to say, because I think that you are right. The, well, I guess we're not back in hunter-gatherer times, are we? We're not no. like our, our role as men is far less about protecting the livestock and protecting the woman and things like that. Sure. Absolutely. Um, we, when, um, uh, women are, are pregnant and they stay home and things like that, uh, men generally take on <clears throat> more of the, the working role. But I mean, um, in the UK, there is now shared parental leave where actually that kind of thing, um, is, is no longer, uh, no longer needs to happen. I know, you know, women work pretty, I know know most, most women uh, pretty much work up to like two, three weeks before they get pregnant. And then there is the opportunity now for men in this country. And I I wonder how many men actually know that they can take shared parental leave. I think I read about it. I think I read um, in, in, in a book called Equal Power written by Joe Swinson, I think it is, that um, she was the one that advocated for shared parental leave. And actually it only came into effect in about 2015. So that's only what, seven years ago? Yes, yeah. So I'm, I'm not entirely sure how many men know that actually they can share the, the, the parental leave. And the bigger question is how many men would actually want to do that? There we go. That is that's the, the question, isn't it? So how many men would actually say, oh, do you know what? I could carry on working for the next year and do the the manly thing do the, the you know what i'm biologically like you said what i'm biologically primed to do um and go to work for a year or i can actually do it 50 50 and i could do six uh, uh five months and my partner could do five months it is simply i feel like anyway it's simply <laughs> it's simply because men we are not conditioned enough yeah. To be to be to feel as if our nurturing capabilities mm-hmm. are necessary in those early stages yeah. of um of a of a new child being born. You could probably attest more to this as yeah, a father. I, I can. But, <laughs> yeah. me, but, He's so, taking shared parental leave. <laughs> there we go. So for me, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't see why this is strange. The whole of the pandemic, there was this whole thing. Oh, there was a whole of these stories for at least two months. That was like, hey, men are staying at home and they're happier because blah 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 blah. blah. Yeah. Obviously, they're, they're they're very specific stories yeah. about that. But then I'm like, so now that you now a pandemic has forced people to be at home and you've seen this response, mm-hmm. how do we, 
how do we go about creating that level of emotional literacy mm-hmm. for men to feel as if they are able to contribute fully to the, the upbringing and raising of their children mm-hmm. and understanding that as it yeah. being rather than doing the classic avoidance thing of saying I'm going to work because that's where I'm supposed to be you know and I think and I think you are right I think it's I think it's that fear of the well for one the fear of the unknown in terms of the fact of um, potentially how scary it is to maybe think about being at home for such a long period of time with a with an infant essentially who and I, and, I, and I don't know if this is something that you share, but it's certainly some, uh, a view that I used to have up until very recently. I just felt that um, because, you know, my partner, a woman, was the one to give birth, that just inherently and naturally she knows what to do, how to do it, or in terms of like the... the um, looking after the child so like attending to its needs and stuff so I was very much of the understanding that I would be there to sort of help um you know change nappies and um get up in the middle of the night to do bottles or get cowpole or change the change the nappies or anything like that so like from that practical from that practical perspective I understood that that's kind of what I would do and how I would um fulfill my uh, fatherly role but I suppose even even naturally um I just assumed on this fundamental um uh maternal level i guess that i was far less equipped than my partner was to manage the the earlier years and actually i don't think that that's true it doesn't make <laughs> I think sense if you, i think if you speak to any mother who mm. has had a child they will be like i actually don't know what the fuck is going on i am actually just making it up day by day as you go as i go along and that's I, th- I can't remember where it was, but that was such a revelation to me. And that was such a um, like coin drop moment of, oh my God, you know, my partner knows as much as I do. And actually, you know, for me to, for me to use the, oh, you're, you're a woman, you know how to do things better as an excuse is actually bullshit. I didn't know it was bullshit. I didn't know that what I was thinking was wrong. Um, but actually, why would... Why would somebody who's never had a child before know exactly what to do with the child? You know, I know there's books and stuff and I know there's guidance. And I think in this modern day and age, the Internet is amazing. You can Google any kind of a problem that a baby has and an answer will pop up or there's apps or whatever. But why would why would somebody who's never had a child before know what to do? Yeah. I had had this I had this whole debate with a group of men for a while and I find that it's very difficult for me sometimes because obviously I'm not a father so there's this whole mm. there's, there you're, becomes, you're not a dad you wouldn't understand there becomes this dismissal of things yeah, where it's just a bit yeah, like yeah. when I'm like well actually I should be able to see what it's like because I've been a child so I understand yeah. what that should look like <laughs> so but understanding that it's like there was this whole video that came out there's this thing about you know the guy was in a barber chair there was an over there was a voice over the man was basically saying like you know um you can't give all your time to your family because if you give all your time to your family you're not working if you're not working you can't help your family if you can't do all this blah 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 all this mm-hmm. stuff i put it into the um you know certain people were like yeah it's true Da-da-da-da. and i was like hold on one second we're not we're not under we're we're confusing ourselves with what is normal and what is common and what is common is that we actually start to see, you know, men don't 
you know, they stay away from the home. They are conditioned to go out and, you know, work how many hours, come back tired. And then they, you know, they don't see their children and all this different stuff. And then obviously the pandemic's changed that. But I feel like what is normal is that you want to be with your, you want to be with your children. Yeah. You want to be with your children. I mean, if you're, you know, if everything is okay. Just yeah, yeah, obviously there might be issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there might be, there, there might be things but, around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you, know, you would, you would just I, naturally assume that as a father, right. you want to be as around. A, as, a, as a family person, you probably want to be around your family. Um, and, you know, it was all this, you know, there was all these responses around, oh, if, um, if I work from home, if, you know, if I had my own business, that can only work if you have your own business. I can only work if this and that and the other. And I said, okay, fine. Yeah, that makes it easier if you work from home, et cetera, because you're always at home. But I look at this stuff and I just think to myself, well, if two people, as intelligent as humans are, if two people come together to create, um, with two people with two different stories, two very valid emotions, emotional kind of spectrums and whatnot, come together to create another one, there should be the, the resources are there within us to be able to be the yeah. best possible pe- parents yeah. for yeah. that child. Yeah. Um, and but the but what we are having now is an issue between the structures that society has created for mm-hmm. us versus our yeah. our natures, yeah, and our you know what is normal. For yeah. reactions for us to actually yeah. feel that level of concern that level of vulnerability being able to share with your partner i don't know what i'm doing i don't know what i'm doing either but we're yeah. together doing this together yeah, rather exactly. than you should know what you're doing because you are exactly. x y and z and i'm doing and and what you're and what you're talking about the in terms of the the, the structures so i think this sort of very much speaks to this um <clears throat> sort of past uh, industrialized version of masculinity where capitalism was was key and um competition over um other men in terms of vying for financial power and getting a good job and being able to look after your family and being a breadwinner i think that's the message that has been passed down to us and actually it's the the structure and the society and this sort of capitalist driven dog eat dog world which has sort of fed us the message to say actually that your place is not at home and actually you and without and, and, and i don't think they've said that fathers can't look after the children it's that fathers shouldn't look after the children but they should be at work and i guess maybe we've filled in the blanks a little bit and because we should be at work we automatically then assume that we actually don't have the capability to be parents and we've kind of then gone oh well you know if I do have to work from home or I do need to do whatever or even when I do have a child my place is at work because I I don't think I'll be able to do it to do what is needed to be done when actually what you what you're saying makes complete sense if two biological beings that you know fundamentally coexist to create another human being it must make sense that actually psychologically, emotionally, biologically, in terms of like our neuro, uh, uh, in terms of the um, neurological um, feelings of oxytocin and, and caring and attachment and all that kind of stuff that exists with us, we as men must, must have that. That is a inherent, innate capacity that we must have. It just, you know. Yeah. And I think that, what society is trying to do is spend a lot of time 
crushing that out of us. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and I, and that's where and that's where I come to back to the whole masculine feminine energy situation mm-hmm. because the ideas of the, the 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 genuine human feelings that a lot of men have towards life and their feelings mm. towards other people and generally have been kind of squashed out of them mm. you know mm. because it's like what if a man wants to be wants to take care of the home what if he just wants to do that <laughs> because what if he wants to be a house husband why not i've said to i've said i will be a kept <laughs> man i'm happy to be a kept man go and earn the money like yeah. literally i will, I will keep the house clean i I'll will make sure that, 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 that i make sure the things are repaired i'll make sure the house is clean i'll make sure the dinner mm. i'll make sure the things are happening yeah. because but like but i'd say that you know to kind of make the point of like yeah yeah, yeah. bit tongue in cheek it, but yeah, like yeah whoever whoever wants to do whatever it's a partnership and, and, and i think yeah figure that out. and i suppose that i roles make no sense and i guess that's what i'm and i guess that that's my that's kind of the crux of my big question is like is if you just want to if you just want to do what you want to do does it need to be labeled as either masculine or feminine like is being so obviously if we're talking about somebody who stays at home and is a traditional homemaker, as it were, that has been a role primarily filled by women for the various reasons that we've already sort of gone through in terms of men being at work, etc. But if a man just wants to do that, if that's what makes him happy, if that's what gives him, if that's what, you know, if that's, you know, we talked about in the happiness trap about values and beliefs and what, you know, the, what somebody uh, what somebody believes in to give themselves a, a life worth living. If that's what makes somebody happy, just do it. Why can't why can't they do it? And I guess why does it have to then be? And I, and I'm not saying uh, I'm not saying uh, what, what's the word. Um, I guess what I'm saying is is why does that then have to be considered a more feminine role versus you know if if the if the the wife then goes on to be the main breadwinner and that's the more masculine role why can't it just be that that's how they live their life and that's how they're happy it's not it's neither masculine or feminine it's just the woman goes to work and the man stays at home to look after the kids and clean the house and all that kind of stuff that's just boom that's it why why is there a label that it has to fit into a particular category take take the um take the personality trait of like strength or whatever you know you were talking about earlier the the, ne- the the Neanderthal man being strong and having to protect and all that kind of stuff. But strength is inherent in women as well, isn't it? So, right. like, I mean, the, the amount of physical and mental fortitude it takes to um, carry a child to term, deliver it, and then sort of stay up however many nights, yeah. breastfeeding, look, like that takes absolute yeah. will of strength. That's- psychological fortitude that i don't even think i could potentially possess because man it looks tough objectively i think men know women are stronger than men (laughs) objectively i think to myself myself like do you think it's like an overcompensatory thing do you think we're like actually you know we know women are stronger so we have to then again that whole that 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 whole dominance thing of isn't it so you've got to make masculinity look stronger than femininity so we need to be more because actually women are fucking stronger than we are and it's it's a thing where you think to yourself i think that like while 
a woman is taking the time to gestate this baby and make sure the baby is as healthy as possible with no stress mm-hmm. and whatnot. And the man has then had to step in to make sure that those that 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 kind of happens. Yeah, yeah. And then and then that the woman's kept it, safe it, and it, looked it, after it should, and all that kind of stuff. It should revert back to normality thereafter. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there should be more reverence to that understanding. Yeah. But they might there might have been. In, his, in history but over time attitudes and ideas change and I think it's changed, to, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know men have a lot more time to start thinking about these things and when so when people start thinking they start doing things which I just you know what I mean so mm-hmm. I look at it and I think to myself like when it comes to all of this um all of this stuff and yeah you know you said why why attribute the the, the word masculine and feminine to it and why do we need words for that stuff um I, I look at it and I agree, but I feel like it's just a way of being able to discuss. I think when we start to re, when we start to empower ourselves with it, because if I said, if I said to you like, like, oh, like I have a lot more feminine aspects and traits and things in it, and I, and I don't mind that, and I've empowered myself with it, and then mm. you know, should I have a wife? Um, and then she says, oh, yeah, I've got a lot more masculine and the more direct, the more X, Y, and Z, the more. I'll be like, it just is what it is. And I yeah. think that when we start to empower and restructure how we think about it, then fine. But I would love for these things just to be deleted from, from the, from the yeah. lexicon. But yeah. then again, think, what we start to, when we start to think about new things to start putting yeah. in there, it's a bit like... And I, think, and I think you're right. Like, you know, I talked earlier about how human beings like their... Um, mental shortcuts, their cognitive shortcuts. And actually categorizing is is one of the things, well, we do it for a reason, don't we? Because it helps us make sense in a very short space of time with a reduced amount of brain capacity, what's, you know, what something is or is not. And I suppose masculinity and femininity um, is a categorization of particular ways of being or acting or thinking, et cetera. But I suppose what you're what you're saying and what the point is, is that actually whether it's masculine or whether it's feminine shouldn't matter in how sure. much we respect it or how much we give it value or how much we, um, you know, say that it's a good or a bad thing, if that makes sense. It shouldn't, our, we shouldn't have any our judgments about whether something is masculine or feminine shouldn't change. They should just be what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think it should be. And yeah, the thing I is, and, and and when it comes to patriarchy itself, I mean, I'm reading this book called um, "A History of Masculinity: From Patriarchy to Gender Justice" by I. I was going to ask you about that because I saw your I saw your article that you'd written yeah, for Book of Man. Yeah, yeah, and I um, and I interviewed him for my newsletter as well. And then there's a bit in here where he just basically says. Um, quite early on in the book so he talks about the globalization of patriarchy and then kind mm-hmm. of how that then became a thing and he says patriarchy becomes the rule once there is something to monopolize so mm-hmm. land herds food food stocks raw materials power over women and certain men at a minimum we can conclude that the human groups of the paleolithic era instituted a division between the sexes while neolithic societies imposed an inequality between the sexes and it's really interesting because th- this whole idea of possession mm-hmm. and acquiring has kind of has has transcended all of these generations over time to the point where it's it, it, it's taken up so much space that something as very simple as a color mm. can cause 
a mass disruption about what it means to be a man today. Mm. And even traditionally, it used to be pink that used to be the masculine color, and yeah, blue yeah. used to be the feminine one, right? Yeah, and you would, you yeah. would have heard that, and that changed. <laughs> and, the people yeah, and, just not, and not even, and not even, not even that long ago. I think it was like it was 50, like, 60 years ago that it changed. And I was like, so how do we just switch a color? And also, why? Do, and, and if we, and if we can just switch colors, why do we give that much of a shit about it? Like, if exactly. if it doesn't, if it doesn't actually have that much substance, and it's not that fixed, or we're not going to defend it so much to to not change it why do we care why do we why do we why do we put so much stock in the fact that pink is for girls and blue is for boys it just doesn't make any sense it's fundamentally (laughs) dumb and and stupid that's what what happens when people have too much time yeah and also like they're not out here raising children they're out here thinking about colors absolutely but i guess that comes down to the fundamental power of of um influence and you know the the structures around us somebody somewhere or a group of people somewhere although i imagine it probably came from some person's mind because you know an idea usually sparks from one person's mind and then will spread like wildfire but somebody well yeah but but you know an individual or a group of individuals sat there and went so pink is traditionally for men and blue is traditionally for girls what if we swap them and they went yes that's perfect but then that became part of our cultural makeup like that is how we now but like I, I don't even know if we could probably ever trace back to where the color change came from but it just that that that's the power of culture that's the power of these um unknown systemic forces that guide our behavior and tell us what it's to do definitely in this book oh is um, it that i've read and i just cannot remember where it is so when i do find it i will let you know um, um, what I might do is I might put the title of that book in the yeah, um, yeah. in the further reading of this podcast yeah. so that everyone can have I, I want to read it as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing about it as well is like over time we start to look at it just becomes so mind-boggling when you start to unpick and unpack all of the the, the sort of the, the, the iniquities and the inequalities that we see and the kind of in and I would say I call them inaccuracies because I feel like if something is told from one perspective for the whole of modern history how are we going to really understand what modern history actually is because mm-hmm. you know it's like especially when we look at religions all the major leaders in those religions are men but they have very very key um, women who are part of the stories Okay. But they get they get those minimized. They have those those stories are minimized. Mary Magdalene mm-hmm. um, and the mother and um, Jesus's mother. They literally have the purpose of being <laughs> the people that bring these people into the world, yeah. or create a particular relationship with them, and then that's it. The and rest of it is down to a very small. Exactly. Very the rest small of it is twelve part. men. It's twelve men. It's yeah. like you know the the most of the New Testament is men right in that um because yeah. obviously these things were chosen by men anyway mm-hmm. um yeah i think I, yeah i think that when we start to what look do you at, reckon start, what do you reckon the bible would look like if it was written by women i think it would look like a bit a bit more equitable i think maybe a bit more reflective i think there would be updates <laughs> i think that i think that there would be uh oh actually this doesn't really align yeah, with yeah, X, Y, and Z, yeah. you know what I mean? I feel like there would be, I feel like there would be a bit more um, accurate color. of reality. 
Maybe. Yeah, and I think there'll be more, I think there'll be more knowledge on, say, for women, for example, yeah. on and, play, and just parents in general, on yeah. what it takes to give birth, what it takes to, you know what I mean? All of these, Raise all, of, all of, of these, yeah. experience, all of these human experience, I think women would kind of tap into more of the human emotional experience that's mm-hmm. that that we that we that we go through as humans and you know like okay so the war has happened but why did the war happen and all of these different things you know what i mean there will be a mm-hmm. i think there will be a fuller telling of the history and it'd be a bigger that, book really it'd be a bigger book <laughs> it'd be a bigger book much bigger book. And I, yeah and people talk about they don't read but everybody everybody seems to paraphrase and quote the bible yeah, it just becomes yeah. this thing where you're just like yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So I think I think we've potentially covered that question <laughs> in like an hour. Um, so are you right if we move on just to, to the next bit then to kind of think yeah, a little sure. bit slightly less existentially? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there you have it. Uh, part one of my and Alex's discussion on the future of masculinity. <laughs> um, like I said at the beginning of the of the episode, it was a very existential chat, which um, the hope, you know, the point of which would be to hopefully provide some food for thought about the current conceptualization of masculinity and how some of and some of its flaws. Um, hopefully, it's also given some insights into how we can perhaps move forward in rethinking what it means to be a man in today's modern age, uh, but also how we can maybe start to challenge the norms surrounding uh, what we've always been told we have to do and, and how we how we have to be. Um, just to note, this discussion is not the be all and end all of these kinds of discussions. Um, there are definitely things that Alex and I did not touch on. Um, or did not cover enough of or at all. Um, It is also possible that we have missed the mark on some things. Um, I know that Alex won't mind me saying this, but if you want to get in touch with either of us to share your thoughts about what you've heard on today's episode, please do. Alex is generally available on Instagram, his handle being at byalexholmes. And although we did not focus on it too much in this episode because it forms part of our larger discussion in the next half of the chat, do check out his book. It's called Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection. I've recently read it and I found it really insightful. Um, you can also get hold of me on Instagram. Just search for The Narcissist Psychologist. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, though God knows why. Um, and yeah, I guess uh, thanks for listening. Um, if you've liked what you heard, uh, please like, share or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts uh, and make sure to tune into part two of this chat, which I will release at some point in the future, hopefully. Um, but yeah, as always, have a good day, uh, you know, or not, whatever, no pressure. <laughs> See you later. <laughs>